Good to see you this morning for our worship services. So glad that uh, you've tuned in. A couple of that I uh, want to go ahead and make. Uh, how can you get your offering in? Uh, you can do that online, alamofirstbaptist.com. Just go uh, to the... Quickest, easiest, uh, and most efficient way that you can do it, or you can mail it in, P.O. Box 241, Alamo, Tennessee, 38001, or give us a call. You can uh, drop it off, or we'll come by and get it for you during these times when we're uh, kind of not connected as we normally are. Also, I want to remind you that uh, we're still taking up for Annie Armstrong, our North American Missions uh, offering. I think we've got around 2,400. Our goal is 6,500. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, let's do our part and let's give to that. We're going to be taking that up through the month of June also because uh, we've missed so much uh, of, of our time together and the, and the chance to promote it. But let's not just forget to, to give and let's not also forget to, to pray uh, for our, uh, our North American missionaries as well as our international missionaries, uh, particularly during this time. Uh, we're glad that uh, uh, you're with us again this morning. Wish we could be together. Uh, the deacons did decide the other night that we're going to continue uh, to uh, go in this direction as that we're in on, uh, through the month of May. And we're going to be reevaluating uh, in these next couple of weeks about uh, what June looks like. Uh, we're looking at uh, what the governor has put out and how we can best do that. And then also be sure that you're safe. So it does look like it's still going to be several weeks out before we can kind of begin to have a, uh, a time when we're together. We're also going to be putting together a task uh, force uh, team that's going to uh, put some plans into place to, to make sure that when we do get together that we are as safe as possible as far as uh, any risk to this virus. So continue to pray uh, for that to, to come together and all those things to happen. We appreciate that. Don't forget youth, uh, you've got Zoom meetings, uh, I think y'all have got one tonight, and then again on Wednesday, or Wednesday night, y'all have got one. And, and uh, kids, I know Allie's been doing some things on Sunday afternoon uh, with you, so don't forget, Allie's got something for you guys tonight. 
We've got something else we're going to ask you to do uh, for next week. Next week is Mother's Day, and I really hate that we can't be together on Mother's Day. We always give out uh, a bouquet of flowers to our newest mother and then to our oldest mother. And, you know, we really hate that we can't do that. And we recognize all our mothers and, and we, we celebrate uh, the blessings of a mother. So here's what we've got in mind. Dads, I want you, if you will, to get your smartphone, your, your phone. You can do it on your phone. Uh, and I want you to get your kids, pull them to the side somewhere and just ask them, what do you like best about mom? What does your mom mean to you? I want you to video that. And then next Sunday, all right, uh, next Sunday after the worship service, I want you to upload them to the group page, to the First Baptist Church Alamo group page. And then we can enjoy uh, all the videos that uh, are from our congregation, uh, particularly from our kids, uh, for their moms. And you don't have to be necessarily any age kid uh, to put up a video. I mean, you know, if you want to put up a video and you're my age, uh, you go ahead and do that. It, that that'd be perfectly fine. But we're just going to fill up the website group page of First Baptist Alamo uh, with videos uh, of their mom. And if you've got a picture or something, you can show uh, uh, your, your mom's picture and uh, just uh, tell, tell us what your mom means to you, all right? So let's have some fun doing that. Well, it is good to see you. We'll continue on in worship together. Uh, and let's have a word of prayer, and our praise band will continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can uh, glorify, worship, and honor you, that we can lift up your name, Jesus. And Lord, we miss being together, but we know that in spirit, we are blessed to be able to, by way of technology, be in our homes and, and, and Lord, really be anywhere and still worship and hear your word and sing your praises. Lord, we do pray uh, for those that need to be lifted up today, those on our hearts and minds, those that are in our nursing homes, those that are in the hospitals. We pray for our missionaries, our North American missionaries, our uh, international missionaries. We pray for their well-being and their needs and to know, Lord, they're not forgotten, uh, particularly during this time of trial. We also pray, Lord, for our mothers. We love them. We, we lift them up and help us to kind of remember them next week as uh, we do this uh, little special activity uh, to highlight our mothers and what all they mean to us. Lord, just continue to be with us as we worship today. In your holy name, amen.
Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very soul. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. We
Father God, we come before you again this morning. We thank you that because of what Christ did on the cross, that we can be what we were meant to be. That we are meant to be those who bring you glory and honor. Lord, we literally, we worship you. We give you our worth. We give you everything that we have, Lord, because you've given it to us. And we just we can never say thank you enough, Lord, for what you've done for us. Uh, Lord, your blessings, they just overflow. Even in times of trouble, you were there with us. And we, we thank you for that. When we're tired, Lord, when we're ready to give up, you're there to encourage us with your Holy Spirit, with other Christians. And we just thank you for that promise that we have, that you will never leave us or forsake us. We love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Prayers are wearing thin. 
Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for that. Do you feel worn today? A little weary? I want to spend some time this morning thinking with you along this subject. The Lord's answers to life's problems. So if you have your Bible, please open to Philippians chapter 4. And in just a little bit, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9 and then verse 11. I was reading a a story uh, this week that uh, was speaking about uh, Zig Ziglar. He passed away in 2012. Some of you older folks will know uh, who Zig Ziglar is. He was a well-known motivational speaker some years ago. He went around uh, the United States and really all over the world uh, motivating people, particularly salespeople for uh, Fortune 500 companies. And he had a, a real unique way of taking anyone that had maybe a little shyness or needed a little help of courage to public speak and do other things uh, to help them uh, perform and excel in their job. So he, he was on uh, demand pretty much from uh, a lot of companies and always speaking. But he tells the story, and I want to share it with you because it really does give us a good illustration as to the lesson we're going to get from Philippians 4, you might even call the story that I'm going to give you uh, a modern-day parable. So listen uh, uh, to the story that Zig Ziglar used to tell. A number of years ago, Lori Majors, my executive assistant, got a phone call from a lady in Birmingham, Alabama. At the end of the conversation, she said, Zig, I believe that this woman has got or believes that she has an impossible problem, but I think that it will only take you a few moments of your time and you can solve this problem for her. Ziegler told his assistant, well, tell her to meet me backstage about 10 minutes early. That's all my schedule has time for, and I'll, I'll talk with her. So Zig tells how the meeting with the lady went backstage. He said, well, I got there and I was there backstage behind the curtain on one side and it was there that she spotted me from the other side. And she walked across the stage and he said, I'd never seen as much anger in one human being as I saw in her all of my life. She got up to me and she said, I am so glad to see you. And she said, because I have this horrible job and I hate it. I hate everything about it, she said. And then she said, can you help me? And Ziegler goes on to say, he says, now understand, I've only got 10 minutes. So I look at her and he said, one thing that I've learned, and I don't do a lot of counseling, he said, but I 
I've talked with a lot of people in uh, psychiatry and psychology and the ministry and such. And one thing he said I have come to learn is this, that everybody who comes to you with a problem is not necessarily looking for a solution. And he said, I could not understand that for a long time. And he said, you know, a lot of people don't want you to solve their problem. And he went on to explain how the reason is because they enjoy the attention that goes with the problem. And if you solve their problem, well, then they're not going to get the attention. So that's going on in his mind. And he said, so I thought, well, how can I help this lady? And he said, well, I'm going to give her what he called the shock treatment. So he looked at the lady and, and, and he said, he wasn't unkind, but it was very firm. He said, yes, and you know, ma'am, I'm afraid that your problem is a, about to get much worse. And she said, well, what do you mean? And he said to her, he said, I believe they're going to fire you. Now this absolutely stunned her. She could have been more stunned, he said, if you'd have thrown a bucket of cold water into her face. Fire me, she said. Why on earth would they fire me? Clearly, the inflection of her voice, he said, indicated that they were the bad guys and she was the good guy. And they ought to fire themselves and keep her. He said, well, ma'am, here's why. Because I don't believe there's a company in America that is big enough to contain as, as uh, much poison that is in you. I don't believe there's a company big enough in America to hold it. Well, she looked and he said there was something else that he noticed and something else he had learned in life. He said, when somebody is about to lose something they've been complaining about, whether it's a car, a home, a mate, a job, or whatever. He says, all of a sudden, when they're about to lose that, it seems like whatever they've been complaining about takes on a whole new value for them. She looked at him and she said, well, what can I do? He thought, okay, I've had a breakthrough. He said, okay, when you get home tonight, you've done all the things that you need to do. You've done all your chores and all those kinds of things and you're getting ready to go to bed. When you get ready to go to bed, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a job and I want you to do it. I, I, I want you to do it. I want you to write on a sheet of paper what is it that you like about your job. She said, well, that's easy. I like nothing about my job. That won't be a long list at all. Well, he said, well, let me ask you this. And just as a matter of curiosity, do you work there for benevolent reasons or, well, do those people down there pay you? Well, she said, they pay me. Well, do they pay you well? Well, yes, I, they pay me very well. And uh, he went on to explain. He said, all right, take out your notebook right now and let's start this list. And, of course, she complained and she griped. He said, no, no, let's do it. Open your notebook right now and let's start working on this list. He went on to say also that he had discovered that in 100% of the cases, with no exception, people who won't take step number one will never take step number two. 
And it took some urging, it took him some convincing to get her to take out her notebook and start doing this list with him in those 10 minutes that he had. You see, he had come, she had come to him with this impossible dream, he said, that Mr. Nice Zig Ziglar was going to solve all her problems and that she would live happily ever after. She wasn't prepared to do what he was asking, but it was key. The end of the story, he goes on to say that they came up with some 22 things that she really did like about her job. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because what we're going to look at this morning together is really a matter of perception. It is a matter of our mind. It is a matter of what we're thinking. And this morning you may be worn, you may be weary, you may be discouraged, you may be depressed, you may be full of fear of, of the things that are going on today in the world or the things that have happened to you personally. You may feel as though you are in an impossible situation. It may be your marriage, it may be your children, it, it, it may be your job, it may be your finances, and, and, you, and you, you've got these what you feel are insurmountable problems. Well, I want to tell you this morning that God has an answer to whatever problem that you have, and it's going to be connected to your thinking, to your perception. Now, with that in mind, let's look in Philippians now. Philippians, and let's look in verse 4, and let's read through verse 9, and then we'll read verse 11. And here's what Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you notice what he says? It's in your thought life, he says. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Here's two key points. Think about it, change your thinking, and what you're now thinking about, live these things out in a practice discipline. Practice these things, and then he says, listen, the God of peace will be with you. Now verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, he said, in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul didn't just say in the good times. He said, doesn't matter where you're at, doesn't matter what's going on, I've learned the secret to life's problems. I want to give you five principles I think that Paul discusses here that we can apply to our life to whatever problem, whatever mountain seems to be impossible or insurmountable, whatever it might be, that I think God will be the answer that you're looking for. And I want to say here also 
that Paul doesn't allow for any loopholes. He doesn't allow for any wiggle room. If you're going to face the problems of life, you're going to have to, like, listen, take the full measure of the medicine offered. You, you can't cut out one of these. You can't say, well, I like two of them, but I don't like three. You, you can't say, I'm going to do four, but not the fifth one. If you're going to have the problems of life be under your feet, if you're going to be able to have the peace of God with you, if you're going to know contentment, that is a sense of being all right and okay and everything's fine, you're going to have to do all these things that he recommends to do here. So let's go through that list. Number one, here it is. Every day we should live rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. Now listen to what he says, Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now Paul's not making a suggestion here. He's not a cheerleader saying, come on now, y'all cheer with me. No, this is a command. This is a statement of, of direction. You and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God, are called to rejoice always in the Lord. And he says, if, in case you missed it the first time, I'm going to say it again, rejoice in the Lord. Now, remember that when Paul wrote this, when he was penning this letter, he was in prison. He wasn't off at some country club or he wasn't on some uh, uh, all-inclusive island resort being served, you know, pineapples and, 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 and fruit and, and enjoying the beach and the, and the surf. He was in a Roman prison. Uh, he was under lock and key. Uh, he had no freedom, no liberty. He, his, what meals he got came because others would give it to him when they wanted to give it to him. Uh, it, it was not a pleasant experience where Paul was at. But yet, you see, Paul is able to write these words of admonition, not because it was something that he thought was a good idea, but it was something that he practiced in his own life. You see, Paul knew that he was not alone in that jail cell. I don't know wherever you're at today in this prison maybe that, that is in your heart and mind, this weary place, a worn place, this discouraged place, this depressed place. But I can guarantee you, I can promise you as a child of God, you're not there alone. Jesus is there with you. It may feel like hell on earth, but dear friend, Jesus is there in that place with you. you know, every once in a while you'll hear somebody, and I've done this too, We'll be talking about maybe uh, somebody that's famous, you know, maybe a sports superstar or, uh, or a movie star or maybe there's this uh, Fortune 500 uh, 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 big wig that's, you know, a multi-billionaire or, or perhaps uh, there's a, a, old, a political figure who's pretty high up in the political theater of life. We'll meet one of those people and we'll say, 
Man, I was lucky. I got to shake their hand. I got to, to meet with them. I got to talk with them and spend some time with them. And man, that was just as cool. And that was so wonderful. Dear friend, have you ever stopped to realize that you and I, as children of God, spend every moment, every minute, every second of our day with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The star maker. The Creator is present with us. I heard it said a long time ago, and I think it's true, unfortunately, that most of us really have all of God in our life that we really want. We like enough God in our life that makes us feel clean and not too guilty about ourselves. We like enough God in our life to, to kind of give us a warm, fuzzy feeling, but we don't want the God that might convict us or might challenge us or push us uh, to be more than we are and better than we're being. How much of God have you got in your life? I can tell you this, dear friend. If there's not as much God in your life as you know there needs to be, it isn't God doing the holding back. It's you and I. It's that we want to put Jesus in the closet and take him out only when it well, it's convenient. Paul said, listen, God is with us always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonable, let, let, let your understanding, let your awareness be known to everyone that the Lord is at hand. And that's not just that the Lord is coming, but He is right there in that moment. Have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus really is the difference maker in life? I mean, look through the scripture and think about all the times that Jesus made the difference in just his presence. Go through the times of sickness in the Bible. You know, when Jesus was there and there was sickness, what happened? Healing came. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but there's been some times that I've felt pretty cruddy. You know, sore throat or a bad cough or... or, or uh, a high fever and, and, or the flu or, you know, had something. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was here and he could just say, be healed, you know, just touch me. And it's, you know, the presence of Jesus in the, in the scripture was wonderful if you were sick because there was healing. The presence of Jesus was, was wonderful when there was sin. Think about the sinners. You know, one of the complaints that there was about Jesus is that he ate with sinners, he hung out with sinners. He, was, he spoke to the people that really you weren't supposed to speak to. It didn't matter if you were the woman at the well that had, you know, five live-in guys uh, or if you were the woman that had been caught in the middle of uh, uh, the sinful act of adultery and thrown at his feet or if it, you were that crooked uh, tax collector that, that skinnied up a tree just trying to get a peek at this, this good teacher coming through town. It didn't matter who you were, you were somebody to Jesus. And when you were in his presence, you could, what, find cleansing. What a difference Jesus is. Now, I'll tell you something else Jesus is a difference maker in, and it was in times of sorrow. You know, the Bible tells us there are three occasions in which Jesus was around those who had died. There was a little girl, he got there uh, uh, to, to see the family, and, and the folks said, look, y'all leave Jesus alone, she's dead. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they kind of laughed at him. 
And Jesus put them all out of the house and brought the parents in along with the disciples and he told the little girl, get up. And here's that little girl who was dead, who did what? She got up. And she not only got up, she started cooking and cleaning house. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is a difference maker. He was a difference maker outside of Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus had been dead for a couple of days. Lazarus had begun to stink. They didn't want to open the tomb up. Jesus said, roll away the stone. Jesus said, Lazarus, get up. Come on. He did not use Lazarus' name. Every dead body in that cemetery would have jumped up that day. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Jesus is the difference maker. I can tell you this, whatever problem is in your life, you need Jesus. You need the difference that he can bring. You need to understand that joy doesn't come in some position or joy doesn't come in some possession. It's not some place that you can get to. It's not something you can get a hold of. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said, a great example himself of this joy that we're talking about in, in the face of darkness. I mean, Jesus faced the darkness of the cross. Listen to what he said, Luke 10, verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. You've hidden the things from the wise and understanding and you revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. Jesus is getting ready to, to die and suffer in an ungodly kind of uh, manner. The worst that man could do to another man, Jesus was getting ready to, to endure. And what's he doing? He's rejoicing. His heart is full of joy. Just before he was crucified, he said to his disciples in, in, in John 15, 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our mental approach to the problems of life is to recognize that Jesus is there. Circumstances can change, friend, but the one who never changes is Jesus. He's the same one who walked on water, who fed the 5,000, who rose the dead, the same one we read about in the Bible is the same one who's there with us today. Understand the presence. Second, every day we should rely on the power of the Lord. Listen to verse 5 again. Let your understanding, your reasonableness, didn't just kind of think this through. I love that word reasonableness that the English uh, uh, version uses. Paul says just think about it for a moment. And let it be known to everyone that the Lord is at hand. Have you, have you recognized the power in that statement? What he is, is talking about there for just a moment? I mean, you know, let's face it. We live in a world where everyone loves power. Ask, ask an athlete. Ask some pro athlete or college athlete, do, do you like power? They'll say, absolutely. Ask a politician. Ask some leader of a nation, do you like power? Well, yes. Often they'll say, what, if people just did as I say, I could solve all their problems. What are they talking about? They would love to have more power. What about Hollywood? You think Hollywood stars would like a little bit more power? I mean, how many times do you read? Well, if they just had written the script or they had just directed the movie the way I wanted it done, it would have been a wonderful movie. 
Think about militaries, military armies and generals. You don't think they want power and like power? Sure. Think about Fortune 500 companies and CEOs. What do they want? Power. They, they, they want to be able to have strength. I mean, think about the drug cartels and the criminals of this world. What do they want? Power. So let me ask you something. What about Satan? Do you think Satan would like a little power? As a matter of fact, it was the power that Satan had that went to his head that caused his fall. He began to see this power that God had given him as the angel of light. And he went to his head and he thought more of himself than he should and he exalted himself above God. So the truth is, we all want power in our life to, to do our own thing, to be our own God, but true power, true authority belongs to God and only God. God is omnipotent in His, in His sovereignty. He is omnipotent in His power. And, and furthermore, no one has power unless God grants it and allows it. That's the reality of Scripture. Think about this for a moment. God has decided, and He's told us about it, I'm going to share my power. Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Him that strengthens me. God has said what? I'm going to share my power with you. I'm going to give you my strength. And you say through Christ, in Christ, we can do all things. Do you understand that the making of God's child or, or the making of what we call a Christian is really a manifestation of the might and the power of God Himself? Sometimes people will say, man, I wish I could see a miracle. Brother Chris, I would love to see a Bible miracle. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, I'll tell you what, you want to see a miracle? Are you a born-again child of God? Are you a believer? Or have you given your heart to the Lord Jesus? Have you been born again? You say, well, yes, okay. Now here's where you can get to see your miracle. After the service, don't do it right now, but after the service, get up and go look in the mirror. Go to your bathroom, wherever, go to your bedroom, look in a mirror, and look at the person staring back at you, and that's a miracle. You've been born again by the power of God. We have a powerful God. And so we need to rely on the power of God. You know, Paul in writing this letter in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's one of my favorite verses. I really call it the formula for life. Think of it this way. For me to live is blank and to die is blank. If you put anything else in that first blank, that's not Jesus, that last blank becomes to lose it all. Think with me for a moment. For me to live as family, to die as what? To lose my family. For me to live as my job, to die as to lose my job. For me to, to live as money, to die as to leave it behind. For me to live as a house, to die as to give it up. Whatever you put in that blank, if it isn't Christ, the formula doesn't work. Paul said, here's what I've discovered. For me to live is Christ, 
and even death can't take away my victory. You see, the power, the power of Jesus guarantees us that win. Let me give you a third thing. Every day we should live remembering the provisions of the Lord. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do you believe in God's provisions? Do you believe that God provides for us? Now, if you want to question that, just draw your next breath of air. That was a gift of God, by the way. Just think about your next heartbeat. That was God's gift to you of a heart that works. You see, we live by the provisions of God every day. And God does give us provision. Can I tell you something else this morning? Have you ever prayed for something to God? Have you ever asked God for something? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever prayed and asked God for something and God gave you that something? Did you thank Him? Has there ever been a time in your life where you asked God for something and God answered a prayer and you forgot to thank Him? You know, really, uh, not thanking God probably would be a real good reason for God not to give us anything else that we asked for, wouldn't you think? I mean, I bet you're like that. You ever give somebody a gift? You, you get them a birthday gift, or you, you get them some kind of Christmas gift, you, you get them a little I'm thinking of you gift, you give them a little go out to eat card, and they don't so much as even say thank you. Well, their next birthday or their next special event or whatever rolls around, you think, I ain't getting them anything. They didn't even say thank you, they didn't care the last time. You don't ever treat God that way, do you? Do you know there's no higher expression of faith in the Bible than that of thanksgiving? And let me also say conversely, there's no higher expression of unbelief than worry and ungratitude. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Jesus said, give us today our daily needs, didn't he? And to be thankful for the things that God gives. God has made provisions in your life. It may not be everything you want, but what you have is what you need. And it is what God wants you to have. And if you haven't gotten something that maybe you need, it's because God's trying to get your attention or maybe God's trying to teach you something that you need to know before He can give it to you. A fourth thing. Every day we should live resting in the peace of God. He says in verse 7, the peace of God will surpass all understanding and guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. This is an otherworldly kind of peace. This isn't a peace that you and I typically think about. I'm looking forward, I'll tell you this afternoon, to getting home. I mean, I drove in this morning, I thought this is a beautiful Sunday. And I thought today I can't wait to get home, get through some of the, the early things I have to do, you know, get on dressed and kind of get my comfortable clothes on, eat a little bit of lunch and whatnot. But this afternoon, I'm looking forward to going out. The grass was cut yesterday, sitting in my chair, drinking a cup of coffee and watching my dog run the squirrels. That's just going to be a peaceful day. Doesn't it sound like a peaceful day? 
But that's not the kind of peace that, that, that Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about a kind of serenity day or a moment we enjoy. He's talking about the peace that God has. Let me tell you, what kind of peace does God have? It's a complete, absolute peace. God never has one headache. God never has a worry. God never has a fret. God doesn't have to come up with an I mean, we said it earlier. We still got to come up with an action plan when we get together. I will tell you, I wish I could be like God and just kind of know what to do. Not even have to ask anybody, just know what was the perfect thing to do. In the Bible, peace is not a subtraction from the problems of life. It's the addition of the power to meet those, those problems. God has said you, can, you and I can have His peace. You and I don't keep this peace. This peace is what keeps you and me. It's His peace. It comes by way of God and God alone. Listen to Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Your mind stayed on God. You're, are you locked in? Are you focused in on him? His peace. Finally, one last thing. And remember, I said you got to do all of these. Every day we should reflect the purpose of our Lord. The problems that we have, the help. Now look, I want you to see, there are four helps God gives us to the problems of life. But the fifth part is us living these things out. If all you are is a bucket for God's blessings, dear friend, you're going to have problems that that tax you, fret you, worry you, confuse you, because you and I, as God's children, were never intended to be a bucket that becomes a cesspool of the blessings of God. God intends for you and I to be a river of His grace. And God says, I'm going to give four things to you that through you, you could be a blessing to others. So every day we should live reflecting the purpose of our Lord. And he says in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, let these things be the person that you are. Let me ask you this question. Suppose for a moment that the house next to you, down the road across the street, goes up for sale. And there's someone that's moving in. And, and the real estate agent drops by and says, oh, so-and-so is going to be moving in tomorrow. And you say, well, what kind of family or what kind of person are they? And they say, well, listen, they are truthful, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, and, and excellent in everything that they do. Now, I don't know about you, I'd be going, man, that sounds like a good neighbor. I mean, it does. It sounds like they're going to keep up their property. They're going to take care of things. They're going to make my house. They're going to make my community more valuable. Awesome. Let's get some more of those kind of folks to move in. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Well, let me ask you, are you that kind of neighbor to your neighbors? Are you that kind of member to your community? You see, you and I should reflect the purposes of our Lord. It should be lived out. Do you know what verse 8 means? That you and I can choose our thoughts just like we choose our friends. 
The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You want to have your problems kind of disappear? I didn't say go away. I just said disappear from the forefront of your worry. These are the things that you must do. You know, in Paul's day, God was upset by the emperor Nero. He was an evil man. He burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians and began one of the most ungodly, inimaginable persecutions. Uh, it's, it's really surpassed in history. But do you know what? It didn't take God by surprise. He knew that was going to happen. He knew it. Did God hastily cut short the day of grace and summon Michael, the, arch, uh, the usher of the archangel, to come in and do the rescue? He didn't do that. His peace, well was undisturbed. He had already known all those things. Why do we not have God coming today? Why, you know, why is He holding back? I don't know. But there's a purpose. The old uh, song is that one day we'll understand it better by and by. Life's going to have its problems. I've said this on many occasions. The problem with life, it's like, the, it's like the waves of the ocean. It's relentless. It just keeps pounding on you. Day after day after day. Even on a tranquil day, there's still just that little lap of a wave on the sands of the shore. Sometimes it's a mighty torrent that's pounding and wearing. That's just the way life is. How are you handling it? How are you thinking about it? God says, live out those four things and reflect that last thing and whatever problems are going to go away. And dear friend, life's full of problems. I clicked on the news yesterday. This was my stress yesterday. I, I clicked on the news and I started reading. I don't know if you've seen this yet or not, but Asia murder hornets have arrived. I mean, I thought, Really? Up in New York City, up in, in New York, these two-inch-long Asian hornets are now here. And they call them murder hornets because they wipe out entire colonies of honeybees. And we know how important they are to our environment uh, and, and the pollination and all the stuff that goes on with, you know, growing stuff. They wipe them out in a matter of hours. And, and, they were, and I was reading in the article, they can sting through the beekeeper's uh, suit. I mean, they got like you know, these two-inch stingers and stuff. I mean, they're, they're horrible. And, and over in Japan, they say there's like 50 people a year that die from Asia murder hornets. I thought, well, that's just great. Now I got something else to worry about. I'm real, you know, I really, I'm really a little worried about how I'm going to go out of this world. I'll be honest. It's kind of, I think about it sometimes because I got it picked out and there's really not much pain involved in that and suffering or hurt. I hope that's the way it goes for me. But, you know, we don't have any control over that, do we? Look, my point is this. Wake up tomorrow and there'll be something new to worry about. You know? The next day to be something new. You know, we're still worrying, trying to figure out this corona thing. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I know who's coming. And that's Jesus. And I know that He's not just coming one day in the clouds. He comes every day into my heart, into my life to live with me, to empower me, and to help me, but not to hoard it up, 
and be selfish, but to take the blessings of God and live it out. And when I do, God has promised, He said, Chris, whatever fear, worry, and anxiety you have, I'm going to make it kind of go away and disappear. And you're going to find instead of a problem, my peace in your heart. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a pretty good offer that God has made. And I'm willing to take my worries, my fears, my anxiety and give it to Him. Aren't you? Heavenly Father, perhaps someone here today listening to this sermon, to this message, to your word, says, first, Lord, I'm not a Christian. And that's my first problem, real problem. Because I've put in the blank of life something other than you, Jesus. And in our prayer this morning, they're praying, Lord, I want to be a Christian. I confess my sins. I repent of them. And I proclaim that, Jesus, you are my Lord and God. And I ask you to save me. Just that simple. If they've prayed that prayer, in that moment, in that instance, they are a miracle. They are born again, child of God. And the presence, Jesus, that you promised lives in them, and you will never leave them nor forsake them. Lord, perhaps there's a Christian listening today that says, well... I have been focused in on the anxiety and worry of life. And problems have seemed too big. But I have forgotten that I have a God that is bigger. And I need to change the way I think. To restructure my list of where I'm really blessed. And what you really want of me, God. And in today's message, I've been challenged to do so. And Lord, in this prayer and in this moment, find me faithful and find me obedient. Thank you for this morning we've been together, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.